Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right, head to Twisted Willow Soap Company, and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Sometimes it is better to light a flamethrower than to curse the darkness. Welcome to Cursing, the 68th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 21st century author Terry Pratchett. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father, and I'm stoked that this is a Terry Pratchett quote. Merry meet. My name is Gwyn. I'm Ode's mother, and so am I. <laughs> I love Terry Pratchett. Listen, I saw my opportunity. And I- <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman, whatever. Yeah, yeah. We'll take any quotes from either of them. That's right, that's right. Oh my goodness. Alright, so first things first, I guess. Patrons. Patrons. Alright, so we have 20 kittens. We love you kittens. So many. We love our kittens. We love our kittens. Our cats are Amber Deathis, Amy Scholes, The Beehive Coven, Cheryl Mick, Christy Claxton, Cindy Barrick, Amelia Dunaway, Gary Bearstorm, Jasmine Ray Bell, Meccan Succolo, Michelle Cocolette Burkett, Rebecca Hillman, Socora, Tanya Allen, and Zacchaeus are cats. So many cats. We love you, cats. Our hunters are. <gasps> if I could take a big enough breath. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just Alisa Addy, Blondie, Briar Aldridge, Charles Howison, Delilah Darge, Darby Lockridge, Erica Med, Felicia Hudson, Finn Odinson, Heather Cartwright, Henry Wodenhouse, Ivy Montgomery, James Smith, Yanni, Jen, Jessica Helmer, Jessica Jones, Kimberly Lockabee, Kitty Chat 47, Laudine, Laura Loki, Lee Lynn, Lucas Masters, Meredith Kenton, Misha Magdalene, Nadia Ratchford, Nicodemus Tibbetts, Ray Lothrop, Rana, Sarah Parkinson, Sarah LePage, Stacy Delar, Stevie Thompson, the Sugar Maple Seder, Usha Ursa, and Victoria Sonus. And Squeaky. And, and squeaky. squeaky. Thank you. Our leopards are Akaneko, Arden Summit, and Foxchild. We love you, leopards. Mm-hmm. Our tigers are Crystal from Apothecary Tees, Alora Driver, Lorelei. Misha Lutz, Nick's Falling Leaf, Silken Fern, and Tree Wizard Creations. We love our tigers. Our panthers are QQ Ann. QQ! QQ! Hi, QQ! Our jaguars are Jaguars. Jaguars. Amanda Hicks, Justin Stanage, and Kirsten Ray. And Bill L. And Bill L. That's right. Our lion is Twisted Willows Up Company. There we go. Yes. <laughs> and we love all of our patrons. Yep. Yes. So thank you, patrons. We appreciate your support. So by the time this episode goes out, the Euling, the sign-up for the Euling will be complete. Will be over. Will be over. And you should be receiving your partners if you have not already received them by the time this episode goes live. If you forgot that this was happening, sorry. By the time this episode is live, it will be too late. That's right. And at this point, we have about 106. Which is just Uh amazing. More than double of what we did last year. Of who participated. Quite a few participants in the Euling this year. That's right. And I'm 
very happy that Oates handling it because there's way more. <laughs> and I was confused with like 40 something last year. Yeah, yeah. We look forward to finding out how you guys, mm-hmm. you know, what you do for each other for Yule and, and we hope you'll share pictures and let us know how the Yuling turned out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. We're doing an episode on curses, obviously. Mm-hmm. Curses today. and cursing. Curses and cursing. We do not mean profanity, though there will be some of that, probably. probably. Fuck no. Oh, damn it. <laughs> you almost said dang. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that had to correct to the appropriately profane version. <laughs> That's hilarious. Part of the reason we're doing this episode is that I mentioned cursing recently in the Sigils episode, mm-hmm. and we reminded people that we're a curse-positive house and mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, there were some questions about it in the Discord, so I figured, fuck it, we'll just do an episode. <laughs> right. And then yep. just get it all out of the way. With right. Play, and we'll, we'll just, I'll just call it cursing so that whenever when anytime anyone wants to know, they can just find this episode. That's right. Well, and is this I'm, the first steps though? No, it's just no, cursing. It's just no. cursing. Yep. Okay. And I did address this on the, the blog on the blog mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So there are several different places people can look. But also, if you are not comfortable with the idea of cursing, feel free to move along. Right? Yeah. You don't That's have okay. to. You don't have to. You don't have to listen to this. to this or agree with our stance. Yeah. You know, it's it's perfectly fine to skip this episode. Yep. <laughs> That doesn't jive with you. That's right. We'll start with the definition, and then we'll maybe go into some ethics, and then we'll discuss some history, and then we'll discuss some mechanics. That'll work. All right. (laughs) And then since this is the last episode we're recording in November, it's also the episode where we're going to be doing our segments. That's right. Yes. So we will have... A Cars Feast Table, a Gwyn's Garden Gems, and an Oatstone Corner. That's right. All right, so the definition of a curse is any expressed wish that some form of adversity or misfortune will befall or attach to one or more people, places, or objects, Mm -hmm. which is a broad category. Yes. That includes both the practice of cursing mm-hmm. in, like, modern witchcraft and the more unintentional sort of abstract curses that sometimes just materialize. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're if you're really pissed off uh-huh. and you're angry and that energy, loose that energy into the world, that does happen. Uh-huh. So, like, when I'm driving. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Car probably does regular cursing. Mm-hmm. Just incidentally, every time he's on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and does your definition include like a difference between hexing and cursing? Because some people define those as different. I don't. I think that's those terms mm-hmm. are maybe useful if you're trying to specify within your tradition like different degrees of damage. Mm-hmm. But there's not like a hard and fast rule. Like hexing mm-hmm. is just the German word for doing witchcraft. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so some people think a hex is specifically a curse and mm-hmm. some people it's just magic. Yeah. It he- depends on who you're talking Hexen to. Hexen was just the German word for witchcraft. Yeah. So I'd also like to point out that cursing is just one part of baneful magic mm-hmm. there, which we're not touching on binding um, yeah. and banishing. We're just going to talk about cursing. This is today. just about cursing tonight. So I have a question. According to your definition that you just read from your Mer- dictionary Mer- mm-hmm. and Webster, mm-hmm. you could curse yourself. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. If so you believe if that's a thing. Yeah, if you're self-loathing enough. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Matt Oren shared a an article, well, like just this last week mm-hmm. on Patheos about people who are cursing to the point that it becomes an unconscious kind of thing. But I don't know if that's the same thing of what you're talking about right now. Let's go ahead 
ahead and get into that now, okay. and that'll let us segue into the ethics discussion, mm-hmm. which we should probably have before we have any of the other discussions. That's true. <laughs> so go ahead and explain this okay. position. Well, Matt Oren, and you can find his blog on Patheos, and it's M-A-T-A-U-R-Y-N. Yes. I believe it was a reposting of an older article. It's about cursing and how when people make a habit of cursing, like just off the cuff or they just they get a little pissed off at somebody and they whip a curse out. It can become a habit that eventually starts to cause harm to themselves as well as to, you know, whatever they're sending out into the world. It's a kind of a, I, I would say it's kind of a, a, a threefold law, but not the way he described it because he doesn't subscribe to the threefold law. Mm-hmm. So it's, but I think it has more of a reciprocity kind of feel to what he's talking about. I think the way you're describing it to me, it sounds more like he's talking about just sort of the psychological damage mm-hmm. that happens when you do violence or harm to someone on a regular basis, right? Like, Potentially, this is, yeah. this is something you do need to bear in mind. The intent of a curse mm-hmm. is to cause harm. That's right. So... Just make peace with that if you are going to do one. Right. <laughs> the... <laughs> Yeah. If you wouldn't be comfortable right. doing physical harm to someone or emotional harm to someone in a mundane way, you should not be cursing them because that is the that is, objective is to do harm still, right? Exactly. That is If the you're point. a pacifist, cursing should be off limits for you the same as physical violence is. And I know that there are some people who believe any form of baneful magic, whether it's binding, banishing, or cursing, they don't believe that any witch should ever do it at all because they feel it is an abuse of power. And Matt Oren in his article isn't trying to tell people not to do cursing. I think he is saying, you know, check yourself to why are you doing it so so really check. what he's saying is you have to check yourself so you don't wreck yourself yeah <laughs> okay, just basically checking. because some people I think do in a way or can if they are a very angry person or something like we were talking about how you can accidentally send out a curse mm-hmm. if you're really pissed off right it's that kind of thing I think is what he's saying is like you get into a habit of doing that without thinking right so like my position because I went to I went to that curse class Yes, you know, um, many moons ago. Miss Aida, a couple of years ago, the very first thing she said, wait at least one week before you even think about doing a curse. Yeah. Let any hot anger. Let any cool. hot, yeah, don't let it be an immediate reaction to a circumstance. You don't throw a curse on somebody because they pissed you off or because the neighbor's dog came over and shit on your lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has to be something because of the energy, the anger, the, the rage that it takes to cast a curse. It has to be justified. So her whole, her number one rule was always make sure that your anger is justified, whether it is because harm is being done to you or to someone else. Make sure you are not just throwing a curse off the cuff because you're pissed, but because you've thought about it, tried other ways to manage the situation, and there is no other way to proceed but to do this. Gotcha. It's, that was her main rule. And right. that's that's how I've approached cursing in my own life. I've, right. You know, I can probably count on one hand how many curses I've actually cast. Yeah. My whole thing is if 
I can't take care of it in the mundane. Right. If it is an injustice or the harm is causing serious physical, mental, emotional harm to me or someone I care about, someone in my family, then yeah, I'm absolutely prepared to throw a curse. Right. Absolutely. I would say that a lot of the the ethics of cursing comes back to just what your regular ethics are. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. If you're a pacifist, this shouldn't be a thing you do. Nope. Exactly. If you accept the use of harm to effect change, then this is on the table for you. Right. Mm -hmm. It's probably not something I'll ever do. Right. I'm fairly much a pacifist, except when Mm -hmm. I'm driving. (laughs) And even then, you're not doing harm. You're just getting angry. Right, yeah. Usually at other people, but it's, you know, they can't hear me. Right. (laughs) So it's it's somewhat internalized. (laughs) It's internalized to the car anyway. QQ is making a good point. She says that I felt that curses were kind of a last resort thing. That's how I look at it, personally. Oh, not so much. (laughs) I've heard that. I would say use the right tool for the situation. Right. Right? I don't think they necessarily have to be like the absolute last thing you do because mm-hmm. frankly the idea that cursing is an abuse of power mm-hmm. or that baneful magic in general is somehow wrong no <laughs> is somehow more dangerous than mm, other kinds of harm right, yeah. is false that is a really deluded way to think about the various kinds of harm you're doing right like mm-hmm. now i'm not saying that that cursing is harmless the intent of a curse is it's to cause too- harm exactly but it's not more harmful by nature than any other kind of harm you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right? the article that I wrote, I brought up the fact that how, how do you define harm? Mm-hmm. You know, any kind of magic that we perform has the potential, has to, the do potential to do harm of some sort. It, it can come down the to... Classic, the, so the classic example is job magic. It, I was just going to yeah. do that. I was just going to say that. Because in a job spell, you are putting favor on one person mm-hmm. over all the other candidates. You are essentially manipulating the, the person doing the hiring. You're, trying to, you're trying to manipulate the odds and, and manipulate the odds for someone that could be a form of harm because they need the job, they need mm-hmm. to pay their bills, they need to feed their kids. And just because you don't see that harm happening doesn't mean the harm isn't happening, exactly. right? It just means you don't have to personally reckon with the consequences. Mm-hmm. So really, anytime you do magic, you should be considering to the extent of your abilities what the consequences will be, not just for you and the mm-hmm. people in your immediate sphere of influence, but for the people around you mm-hmm. who you may never interact with, for, for all the people involved in this situation, right? And you mm-hmm. have to decide if you are willing to attempt to manipulate those odds in your favor, mm-hmm. possibly to the extent of to, of someone else's detriment. Mm-hmm. I think it really does come down to... It's personal responsibility. It's personal responsibility. You have to be able to own your shit, regardless of the type of magic I you I literally are wrote down, own your shit, yeah. in my notes. <laughs> it, it is, and it doesn't matter if it is a job spell, a binding, a banishing... Or uh, just a curse. Or just a curse. You have to take responsibility for what you do. Okay, so another question. Since we just talked about job spell, mm-hmm. and we did a job spell for me. Mm-hmm. So do you think that led to the other employee rage quitting? I mean, yeah. It's potential. Your inclusion in that space changed mm-hmm. the dynamic of that space. Mm-hmm. True. Provided yep. opportunities for them to replace that individual. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that when he quit... They were not, like, desperate for him to come back. They were not going to bend to terms. Right, right. Because you existed to fill that space. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that was a broader good because 
not only did was it good for you, obviously, right? Um, but it's been good for the the work environment yep. in the company yep. because this individual was causing a toxic work environment, right? But his personal perspective would be that harm was done to him, right? Everybody's the protagonist of their own individual story, you know, That's right? Right? Yeah. And Bill makes you know obviously a good point is the best job spell is to fill out the damn application. Yes, obviously. Yeah, obviously that's true, <laughs> and that's true of any situation. You want to go before you do magic, at least that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Before you do magic for any situation, you want to do the work in the mundane world first. If right. you have to fill out a job application or you, you know, you go to the doctor or you... You have to do both sides. Yeah, you have to do both sides. If you need to include magic to assist in what you're doing in the mundane world, then that's what you do. I don't think you have to do the mundane stuff before you do the magic. Mm-hmm. I think you can do them at the well, same yeah, time. Well, you can. Like your father. In conjunction. Exactly. Your father you put in the do, application, we did the spell. Yeah. You can't manipulate the odds. So magic is, the intent of magic is to adjust the odds in your favor, mm-hmm. essentially, right? In one way or another. Manipulate reality on some level in a way that benefits you or mm-hmm. that uh, accomplishes an objective you have. Right. The magic can only work on things that exist. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do the mundane work, nothing can happen. Mm-hmm. There are no odds to manipulate. That's one way to look at it. I mean, there are people, and I, I believe this as well, is that what your intention is and you craft it into reality. There has to be something for you to craft into reality, but... What I'm saying is the, the material reality has mm-hmm. to exist before the magic right. can act on it. Right, okay. So I guess we're saying the same exactly. thing, but in different ways. Yeah. Okay. So Bill said two things here. Does the harm of one outweigh the benefit of the greater good? You have to decide that, that for you. And right. that's also is, what it comes down to is personal ethics. Personal ethics, yeah. If you've never considered what your actual personal ethics are, and this is something that I think especially people who come out of organized religion have a hard time with is building mm-hmm. sort of your own ethical system because you're right. used to having one just sort of handed, handed to, to you. you yeah. But you, you really do, it's a lot of work to do that, to build out an ethical system for yourself. My personal stance generally is that I aim for good for the greatest number of people. Mm-hmm. That's not, I'm not saying that like that's the ideal ethical system. That's just the one that is easiest for and most comfortable for me to apply. Right. Most ethical systems, not all, but most ethical systems have some value. So for me, I try to minimize harm, but I acknowledge that a certain amount of harm is probably inevitable and that I will not always be aware of the harm that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So So Spock was right. Yeah. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Basically, yes. That that would yeah. be my position is if one person has to be harmed right. to save or to improve the good of a hundred people, right. that's a as far as I'm concerned, that's a more than fair exchange. Now that sucks for the one person who has to be harmed. Right. And ideally that person volunteers for it in some way. Mm-hmm. But even if they don't, just and like it sucks to do that math, you have to reckon with that and it's uh an ugly and unpleasant process, mm-hmm. but that's where I've fallen on on my ethical position on vis-a-vis doing harm. Gotcha. If I have to <laughs> and obviously so dear NSA, I'm not going to murder any Nazis because crime is bad and I don't want to go to prison. I think prison would be very boring. But if I was put into a situation where I could kill one Nazi or I could watch a hundred people be killed by that Nazi, I would kill the fucking Nazi. Right. Right? If I was right. put into that situation, 
that choice to me is natural. Yes, that would make me a murderer, but I would be okay with making that ethical choice. Right. And Since so, I've now made things super geeky already with the Spock, <laughs> with the Spock reference, reference, Bill said, may the odds always be in your favor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yep. as geeky as possible uh-huh. for this episode. We'll just mm-hmm. fill in all the nerd references <laughs> to just sort of cut the ethical quagmire right. down a little bit. So, Gwen, talk about your ethics. <laughs> Well, basically, it's, I believe, that I don't want to cause harm intentionally in general, but Mm -hmm. I understand that there are going to be times that I will unintentionally cause harm to people through the magic that I cast, whether it's a job spell or whatever. However, and I, I recognize that all magic has the potential to do harm. To do harm. Right. Period. I am willing to, to accept that premise. Mm-hmm. I am also willing to accept the responsibility for the magic that I cast mm-hmm. into the world. And however, it changes the world. Right. In whatever order, the the unexpected whatever the unexpected consequences, consequences are. are of the magic that I cast when it comes to casting baneful magic I have specific rules that I follow of, as to whether or not I'm going to follow through to the very bitter end of mm-hmm. casting a curse and it does start with yeah that, you have a whole checklist I have a whole checklist and it starts with that number one rule am I doing this out of immediate anger right. is the cause justified is someone or myself being physically emotional Emotionally, spiritually, or mentally harmed mm-hmm. by the action of an this indi- of this individual or organization or whatever, do I need to do? Do I need to magically act in right. order to protect myself or someone else? Because you can make an argument, and from my ethical position, this is the argument I have to make. Mm-hmm. I have to make an argument that if I'm in a situation where I can kill one Nazi or I can watch a hundred people be killed by a Nazi, I have to choose mm-hmm. to kill the Nazi. Right. Choosing not to kill the Nazi is being complicit in a hundred people dying. And you and I are in the, in the same, I agree with that Mm -hmm. position, basically. For that matter, fuck it, take the Nazis out. If a murderer is going to kill one person, and I know for sure that that is going to happen if I do not intervene, I believe it is my ethical responsibility to kill the murderer and become the murderer because I am removing the more dangerous, harmful presence from the world. So when it comes to a curse, which is, as you said, it is a punishment. Right. It's a form of harm. It's a form of harm. It is a punishing spell. This is an important point. Curses are retributative, not generally rehabilitative. Exactly. So the, that is where I would come down to, because I don't really... I like to look at the entire thing, even though I said we weren't going to mm-hmm. be talking about binding and banishing. I look at the entire topic of baneful magic, and I look and see what is needed for the situation mm-hmm. that I'm in. Do I need to cast a binding to protect someone mm-hmm. or myself? Do I need to do a banishing in order to remove, to someone, remove from someone from the situation? Or do I need to fucking punish someone mm-hmm. who has done something very heinous and hurtful, that person is not being dealt with Mm -hmm. in the mundane situation. situation. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like all the other methods have been tried. Cops have been called or it's been reported or Mm -hmm. or whatever is needed for the situation. Right. Whatever's relevant. And whatever is relevant. And if that person is still getting away with whatever it is they're doing, yeah, I will will step in and I will perform a curse. So Mother Multiverse just said, I generally anchor karmic clock 
causes into any baneful spell work. In other words, it's sort of based less on my intention and more on, will the bad in this person weaponized to be equal out by the good in them? This way, the harm the spell does is in proportion to the harm they inflict. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that done. I've done stuff like that. I've included mm-hmm. what I call release valves right. in my spells so that when a certain threshold, threshold is, is reached, then the curse do you do it? Stops. Do you do it both ways? Like enough harm's been caused, or the person's changed enough? Yes. The person has been punished enough; they have responded to the punishment, if you will, or just that they've been harmed enough, or, or they've been exactly harmed enough yeah. for the retribution, the justice, right. to, whatever. To be, to, be, to for the eye for an eye version yeah. of the curse, to and have, that's to really be pulled out. That's really what it comes down to. Cursing is basically an eye for an eye kind of situation, if you want to put it into that vernacular. Because it's, it's very difficult to predict how someone will respond to a curse, right? Right. Your intention with a curse is to hurt someone, mm-hmm. right? Let's be like, let's be, as, right up let's front. be open about that. You're trying to hurt someone in one way or another, mm-hmm. financially, mentally, emotionally, physically. That hurt might not make them a better person. Right. Right? Hurt often doesn't make people better. Yep. I believe there are ways to craft rehabilitative spells. Mm -hmm. I do not consider those curses. No, exactly. Because the point of them is not to hurt... It is to create the environment for improvement, Mm -hmm. right? But can you also cast a curse that does lead to rehabilitation? You can. Because the way the person responds to the... Is is to improve? Is Mm -hmm. to improve, yeah. Yeah, you can do that, I think, but you can't predict whether that's going to happen. Right, right. You can't predict it, but... Bill's got some comments. Bill says, uh, if we're all going poking each other's eyes out, the world will be blind. Yes. That's the eye for the eye thing. Uh-huh. That, that, I use that as a reference because that is essentially what a curse is designed to do. It is designed to, to cause harm to someone who yeah. is causing harm. Generally. But is it, for lack of a better word, tit for tat thing? Or is it a... It doesn't have to be. financial... That's you know, true. Like, it doesn't have to right, be. Right, yeah. So eye for an eye is not... I mean, because that really is... I mean, that's what it actually means. It's, right, right. Sometimes know, an it's an eye for, an eye for an eye. spleen. Or, right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Bill also says, but you're changing the will of the person. Yes, correct. Well, you're attempting to change <laughs> the will yeah, of the person. Yeah, you are attempting... Behavior modification, yes. Yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is why some people consider any form of baneful magic to be... An abuse of power. And if you believe that you are capable of changing someone's fundamental personality, then any magic, yeah, Bill exactly just Mm -hmm. said any magic, then any magic that you do that touches another person and their decisions for any reason ever, you know, is manipulating the will of a person. And we're going right back to that job spell. The job spell, love spells notoriously notoriously uh, questionable for this one. With people's uh, emotions. Uh Emotions (laughs) and things. Any magic you do that ever touches another person, which is probably going to be any magic that you do, mm-hmm. whether you think about or acknowledge it or not, is that you are attempting to adjust another person's behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Bill says, that is why I have a problem with do none. what ye will, but harm none. Yeah, because harm none is virtually impossible. impossible yeah, yeah, it is. And I have seen people include clauses in their spells, like 
as long as this doesn't hurt anyone, you can do it. But there's no explication of what that looks like, mm-hmm. and it's just generally tacked on to the end of a spell as like an afterthought, like an, ooh, I hope this doesn't hurt anyone. But you mm-hmm. haven't put any real processing power, processing right, into, into what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. So either your spell doesn't work because you put in an Anharm Nun Clause and there was no way for it to not harm anyone, mm-hmm. or your spell does work, it harms someone, but you don't notice. Yeah. Right, yeah. And mm-hmm. you consider that the same thing, right? Right, yep. yep. Exactly. So, it, and we go back, right back. It really, you have to define, if you're going to practice magic at of all, any kind, you need to first determine your ethical kind, system. Determine your ethics. What are you willing to do? Find what your boundaries are. Find your boundaries and be willing to own what you do. Mm-hmm. Own your shit. Take responsibility. Take responsibility for the magic and the energy and the intention that you send out into the world. Yep. And as people who deal with magic, you know, our work Words are very powerful, but if you put intent behind that with a magical intention, mm-hmm. whether you're, you have to know what your limits are. Yeah. That's just, that's straight up basic magic 101. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because intention is so critical. QQ says, I mean, being vague in spell work is a bad idea in general. So as long as it doesn't harm someone seems to invoke even more vagueness. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Specificity is key. Yep. Uh, in all magic, and especially in cursing. Yeah. Because you probably do have limits of things you don't want to happen to someone, right? Like That's you, right. You may not be comfortable being magically responsible for someone's health falling so far that they die, right? That's right. If you're not going to be okay with that, you need to make that clear when you make the curse. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So? Or just not do it at all. Guess what time it is. It's time for Oats Stone Corner! Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So today we're talking about copper. That's the metal. But I've done metals before. I did gold. I did native gold. So today we're talking about copper, which is another native metal. Remember that native metals are the ones that occur naturally in metallic form and can be worked with without having to be smelted out of ore first. Mm -hmm. Copper is an extremely soft, malleable, and ductile metal, which means it can be manipulated and transformed and shaped to a, a high degree of stress without becoming brittle or breaking. And it also has extremely high thermal and electrical conductivity, which is why it's used very commonly in electronic components and and wiring and cables. And yeah, Uh, there was actually a move, I think, in the 1960s to to start using aluminum wiring in houses, but it caused a lot of house fires, so they all went back to copper wiring. Yeah, yeah. Because it's um better. Yeah, it's better. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's, better. it's easy to shape into wire because it's very soft and malleable. It has a very very high conductivity, retains uh, what it's conducting instead of sparking fires. With right. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of important. Uh huh. Yeah. Copper was the first metal to be smelted out of ore. It was the first metal to be cast into a shape to make a mold. And it was the first metal to be intentionally alloyed with tin, creating bronze and heralding in the Bronze Age. So humans have been using copper for thousands of years. And it's basically been critical to our tool using capabilities. Right. Before that, we used flint. Yeah, stone. Mostly stone. Which is why it was called the Stone Age. Uh Yeah. (laughs) 
So pure copper is an orange-red color. Uh, it also, to various degrees of impurities, has a sort of a pinkish luster. When it's weathered and exposed to air and seawater, or when it is intentionally exposed to acetic acid, it develops a patina called verdigris, which is that green color that's on uh, the Statue of Liberty and the Liberty Bell and copper roofs and buildings and things. Which is funny to think about the fact that the Statue of Liberty used to be copper. Used to be copper. Mm-hmm. It's still copper. Right. It's still yeah. copper. So verdigris actually protects the metal beneath it from further corrosion. Right. So if you were to remove the verdigris patina from the Statue of Liberty or the Liberty Bell or mm-hmm. any of those places, the copper beneath it would then be exposed to further corrosion. Corrosion. Gotcha. So it's actually best to leave the verdigris where it is because it's it's prov- it's creating a micro layer of of protection gotcha. called, called pacification that preserves the metal beneath it. Verdigris was also intentionally created up until the 19th century to be used as a pigment in paintings. It's not very stable long-term. It creates a very, a very, very beautiful green pigment, but over centuries, it degrades and corrodes into us when it's combined with the other chemical components in right. paintings. It becomes a dark brown or a black color, which is why a lot of paintings from the between the 15th and 19th centuries, which is when it, verdigris was most commonly used as a pigment, a lot of paintings, the grasses are all in brown tones. That's not because they were painting in brown. That's because they were using verdigris. They were painting green grass. And over time, the color shifted as the... So they painted as spring scenes and, and ended up fall scenes. Fall scenes. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So there are a lot of paintings that are um, in the modern day perceived as being very, very sort of um, dull in appearance and in color tone. But when they were originally painted, were much more brightly colored. Interesting. Yeah. Copper can be recycled uh, like aluminum with no loss of quality. And it's estimated that 80% of all the copper that has ever been mined is still in active use. Huh. Yeah. So uh, copper is a very, very sustainable metal mm-hmm. as these things go. It's also biostatic and antimicrobial. So biostatic means that it does not support the growth of bacteria and other organisms on it. So it's sometimes actually used in the hulls of ships because barnacles won't grow mm-hmm. on copper. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Or many of its alloys. And it's antimicrobial, so it's destructive to microorganisms, including many which are harmful to human beings. Just as an example... They've been doing a lot of science on this, and the science is still ongoing, but they've discovered that E. coli left on copper surfaces is destroyed to up to 99.9% after one to two hours on the copper surface, whereas it can survive for weeks on a stainless steel surface. Interesting. Yeah. So everybody's going to go to copper countertops. There's a lot of discussion about um, copper touch surfaces and things like that to incorporate more copper and more copper alloys into the creation of antimicrobial cookware and stuff like that. There is cookware that There's is copper, copper yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you have to be careful cooking with copper if you're going to cook acidic foods on uncoated copper cookware. Most copper cookware now has a non-reactive metal Mm-hmm. film over top of it, essentially a non-reactive metal coating, because otherwise acidic foods will pick up 
copper uh-huh. and you can poison yourself with that would be uh, bad. excess copper. Copper is a dietary essential. Yeah, it's a it's it's one of the dietary minerals that a uh, nutritional mineral that we need. Uh-huh. But like all things, you need it in certain amounts and exceeding those amounts can make you very, very ill. Right. So they're trying to figure out good ways to incorporate copper into cooking and and other situations like maybe hospitals and things Mm -hmm. like that. Right. Where the need for cleanliness is very, very high and the need to uh, reduce microbial transmission is very, very high. Right. They're trying to find ways to do that without uh, introducing too much copper into a system. Now, I thought that they did copper cookware because it's so conductive that it evenly spreads heat. So that's actually the copper cookware, the tradition of copper cookware, began because it conducts heat very well. Right. But even in the 19th century, before they knew that microbial life was really a thing, they discovered that, like, water that was stored in copper vessels mm-hmm. did not get as funky and gross as water that was stored in other kinds of vessels. Interesting. So it was accidentally uh, creating more clean surfaces and more clean cookware. Even though they didn't know why copper cookware preserved things better and produced cleaner results. Even though the reason that they created it was because of its conductive properties, it had the side-on benefit of also being antimicrobial very and biostatic. Cool. So it's, copper's a very cool metal, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, very much so. So magically... Yeah, I was going to say, we've wrapped... Wax, I can't say it. Waxed rhapsodic. Thank you. You have waxed rhapsodic about copper. It's very good. So what can it it's, do for magic? It's good. As always, my default with... Uh, determining the metaphysical properties of a thing is to look at its practical properties. And the three main qualities of copper are its conductivity, mm-hmm. its malleability, and its what I'm calling self-protective properties. So the creation of vertigree, the biostasis, the right. antimicrobial. Mm-hmm. So copper is good for the transfer and circulation of energy. Great if you're having an energy blockage of some kind or you're experiencing like writer's block or something like that and you just need something to sort of help you punch through a barrier of some kind Mm -hmm. because copper is very good at conducting energy, does the same job for magical energy as it does for heat and electricity. It does not store energy very well. It is not like a soapstone where you can just sort of fill it in with energy and then let it radiate out. Right. Uh, Copper, the energy moves through copper. It doesn't stay in copper. Right. Okay. Pulling from its malleability, it's alterable but not transformable, Mm -hmm. maybe, if that makes sense. You can change the shape of copper, right? But it's still copper. But But it's it's still still copper. copper. It's going to continue to have copper qualities. Right. Even the alloys of copper, like bronze, still have copper qualities. Like bronze still has, to a lesser extent, biostatic and antimicrobial properties. It inherits those things from copper. Gotcha. You can use copper to adjust your natural states, right, without activating full transformation, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're basically happy with who you are as a person, but there's an element that you would like to improve, copper is maybe going to be better for you than one of the the more broadband transformers. Because at the end of the day, copper is always copper. And it has the self-protective properties where, unlike a protective stone like an onyx or or a black tourmaline or something like that that does the protection for you, Mm -hmm. copper allows you to activate your own protection, right? So it would be good for uh, shielding. Exactly. 
Copper helps you build better shields instead of building shields for you.、Mm-hmm. So you accomplish two different things. Could you use copper in its connectivity form、mm-hmm. to like take negative energy either out of yourself or to another person and then place it into like obsidian? Yeah. You could so, definitely yes, because it's very very conductive. I would、right. say that's a natural use of copper.、Um, sometimes you'll find copper wands. So、mm-hmm. because a wand is already intended to transfer energy, people、right. make them out of copper, and they can move more energy through a wand that way. So you could get a copper wand. And have someone who has a lot of negativity hold that, direct it at a piece of obsidian, obsidian、yeah. especially if they're having a hard time moving the energy themselves. Right.、Um, if it's clingy or sticky in some way,、uh, which negative energy can tend to be.、Mm-hmm. Yep. Using、uh, a piece of copper as an intermediary for that transition might be very, very useful. Gotcha.、Mm-hmm. So that's it for Oats Stone Corner. That better guy. Gentler. So、uh, Akaneko said. My husband overheard part of this and goes, "Are they talking chemistry randomly?" Me? No, this is what Ode does. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Listen, I just really love excited about copper. I just really love minerals, you guys. <laughs> They're very cool. Oh my goodness. Anyway, oh my goodness. one thing: magical self-defense. Are you being cursed? How do you know? And what can you do about it? Yeah, that's definitely something we should talk about. Cleansing too. Cleansing, <laughs> exactly, because it happens. You know, you piss someone off, and they are they have a different ethics system of,、right. than you, or they have exactly the same, or they have the exactly the same ethics system as you. They're willing to curse.、Exactly. However, that relates to your ethics. Well, before we jump into that, you can join our Tiger Kelly on a visit to Tree Wizard Creations, where you can find custom engraved creations for all. Paths. They offer unique gifts and tools for altar, home, practice, and family. In addition to their standard product range, they offer custom commissions. If you can dream it, the wizard can create it. Contact them at Tree Wizard. That's T R E E W Y Z A R D Creations at gmail dot com, or follow them on Facebook. That was smooth, baby.、Mm-hmm. That was、nice. one of your best commercials. That was like one like of the best. You, you did really well. That was really amazingly、no、awesome. Stumbles, real smooth t- voice, no、Just、like hesitation. The transition right, right into、yeah. it. That was awesome. That was good shit. Okay, All right, talk about.、Uh, <laughs> okay, so since we are talking about cursing,、mm-hmm. I thought it would be important to know how do you know if you are in fact being affected by a curse.、Mm-hmm. And what can you do about it? And what is magical self-defense? And let's also mention that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound, pound of, of cure. cure. Exactly. And this can. <laughs> <laughs> and this is in regard to any kind of baneful magic, whether it's cursing,、yeah. binding, banishing, you know, that kind、yeah. of thing. If someone's throwing a curse at your love life,、yeah. you know, any of those kinds of things. So, how do you know if someone is、mm-hmm. actually throwing a curse at you? First of all. Is there someone in your life that you have angered or offended in some way? So you have to be cognizant of、yeah. the relationships. Examine yourself. Examine yourself and your social circle.、Uh-huh. You know how have people been treating you? How have you been treating other people、mm-hmm. at work, etc.? Is that person who you you know once you've narrowed it down, is that person someone who has magical knowledge? I don't think that's necessary. No, probably because not. Because you can. I'm 
pretty sure cast a curse accidentally. So I, I'm sure some people have, <laughs> but it is something to think about. Is this someone who has magical knowledge? Yeah. Are they the type? They're of, more likely to have done. Yeah, it. they're more likely to have to have cast a curse. And are they someone who has an ethical system which would allow for cursing? Or are they just that fucking mad at you? Yeah, or right. are they that fucking mad? And then finally, is a hex or curse the only possible explanation for what's happening? Yeah. Because sometimes, guys, shit just happens. Bad things right. just happen to Bad things people. just happen. And vice versa. Exactly. Once you've gone through that, you can also use divination mm-hmm. to determine if you've been cursed. The source that I was looking at suggested going to a third party because if you yeah. yourself... If, you're, if you've convinced yourself you've been cursed... <laughs> you're likely to affect the divination, whether it's yeah. with a pendulum or tarot. Confirmation bias is real, you guys. Yeah, exactly. So go to a third person, someone you trust, mm-hmm. someone who you know that understands divination, is good yeah. at it, and can ask these questions and help you determine, A, if you have been cursed, mm-hmm. B, who it potentially could have been, and C, the type of curse that has been cast yeah. upon you. So you can do this, but go to a third party. Once you have determined that this has happened, there are a variety of things you can do to reverse or remove the spell. Mm -hmm. You can create a mirror spell to bounce the cursor hex back to the sender. You can create a poppet to take the damage in your place. Mm -hmm. Because so if it's something you just you know you won't be able to Mm -hmm. stop that sucker, just Just redirect redirect it. it. Yep. Perform a rite to remove negativity. Mm -hmm. Use meditation, Reiki, chakra, or some other form of energy work. Energy healing. Or energy healing to lift the the negative spell from you. Create a ward or a bind rune to protect yourself once you've done that. Ounce of prevention. Wear a protective amulet or mm-hmm. talisman. Have good wards. Have good wards. Make sure that you have proper shields. Mm-hmm. Use proper shielding. Get some copper to help, you know, <laughs> boost it if you can't do a right. shield yourself. Teach Get, yourself to carry, do better shields. Carry some, what would you say? Some tourmaline. Black or tourmaline. Black tourmaline. Something to protect yourself. Yep. And obsidian to just suck up bad shit. Yeah. Obsidian to suck up the bad. Like, for instance, we have a voodoo doll that was gifted to us yep. by Witch Doctor Utu that helps protect our house, house to guard the house. That might be something you want to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that you on your person and in your home space, mm-hmm. your work, your car. Yep. Make sure that you have protection so that think of it like locking your doors. Yeah, basically you lock your doors, and that way, if something does get through, then you can deal with it mm-hmm. and then cleanse and reward. Yep. <laughs> Basically, Gwyn's really fast magical Real fast self summary defense. of yeah. My summary of self defense by Gwyn. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of just doing the things you already know how to do. Probably yeah, if you've run is. into a situation where you've been cursed. Yep. And also, as I was saying, make sure that it's not something that could just be happening just to you. Normal right. Just yeah. normal happens. Just Don't allow so, yourself so to become a, paranoid. So here's a good example. We've had a run of bad luck. Yes, we have. The last, I don't know, couple of months. And Gwen asked me uh, about a month ago now yeah, if yeah. I thought we were cursed. Mm-hmm. And no. No. I do not think we were cursed. No. I think it was just normal bad luck. Just bad shit. Sometimes happens, shit sometimes. just happens. Like yeah. that's just, that's life, y'all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just gonna be shitty and it's not anybody's fault and you just have to get through it. Mm-hmm. Bill ha- has commented, 
You could also have a good friend run protection wards for you. That's right. <laughs> That's Absolutely. true. That needs to be a really good friend who's willing to put in the work because, yeah. and I know, I know Bill has done this, running wards for someone else. Mm-hmm. Is a big, it's a is lot a big draining responsibility. Yeah. yeah, and again, that it comes down to responsibility. That mm-hmm. goes to back to any kind of spell casting, whether it's a baneful magic or not, whether it's protective magic or not. Yeah, you are responsible for what you do, yeah. what you're doing, sustaining it. It's so sustaining it. So from everything I've heard right up to this point, uh-huh. everybody should really go back and re-listen to the shadow work episode. Yeah, uh-huh. because that's a lot of this. Yeah, because yeah. you Absolutely. have to figure out what your ethical thing yeah. is. Yep. Figure out if you will do so. a lot of shadow work before you are ever ready to yep. do a curse, and right. that's and that is really true. Because and honestly, when doing a lot of shadow work dramatically reduce your desire to do a exactly. curse. Exactly, right. yeah. <laughs> exactly, it really does because that is why my very first rule is stop. Mm-hmm. Take a fucking chill take pill. a fucking chill pill. <laughs> And wait until you're not angry and then reassess the situation. Yep. And then see what you can do in the real world <laughs> to deal with the situation. And if things are still escalating or not being... Not improving. Not improving or it just comes down to a situation where this is the option. Where you option. feel that harm is the best option. Harm is the best option because what whoever or whatever is causing the situation mm-hmm. is causing harm. Right. Then you move. Then you act. But you have to be, it has to be something, because when you cast a curse, it takes a lot of, as I was saying before. Big energy. Big energy, which is fueled sticky. by rage and anger and bitterness and all those yeah, here's ugly something feelings. We need to, here's Something, yeah, a lot of the shit you've, you've dealt with a and lot dug of up the during shit shadow work. You've dealt with and dug up. You have to be able to focus to activate. and activate and push into a curse. Yep. And so that's why you wait to see is it really worth the time, the energy, and the effort? The investment. The investment. So we need to redo that song instead of making it stop in the name of love, it's stop in the name of magic. <laughs> in the name of magic. That doesn't quite scan, huh? No, 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 no it doesn't really. <laughs> so that, and I wanted to make sure we pointed this out. I don't want people to go away from this episode going, oh, we could just cast curse. Really? Nice. Hard work, man. No. You no. thought regular spells were hard work. Wait until you try cursing. A curse is very, very, very hard work and you should and you should have all these things in place yeah. before you even think about doing one. Yep. Which is your ethical system knowing that you are going to invest a lot of hate, rage, and anger yep. into this spell. Is it worth it? To do it. Yeah. And something else you need to remember is that cleansing is not just for after you've been cursed. Cleansing is for after you do cursing. That's right. Because that, as you were saying, that is sticky. Yeah. Right. It is sticky emotion. And that can be a kind of way back. It will affect you and I, how you affect other people around you I until you cleanse that shit. I personally wonder if a lot of people who subscribe to Rules of Three and yeah. Anti-Harm Nuns and stuff like that, um, I wonder if those people do curses. It does not occur to them to cleanse after they've done the cursing. Mm-hmm. And the consequences they're experiencing are not like the universe telling them they fucked up. It's just that they did not they didn't deal with all the shit they brought up to do the curse. It's that's entirely possible. Because and there's a great book that I, I love, Dorothy Morrison, mm-hmm. and it's a book about how to do baneful magic. Mm-hmm. It's about cursing and binding and banishing. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that she says in there is that it, it is sticky difficult mm-hmm. magic. And I think that is a very good possibility that people are experiencing quote unquote blowback right. when it's just they haven't dealt with what it took yeah. 
the energy and the, and and the I, emotion that and it I, took to cast that curse in the first place. And I want to go back to this. I mentioned this earlier that doing harm, no matter what kind of harm it is, mm-hmm. because humans are pro-social animals, mm-hmm. has a psychological consequence. It does. It does. Doing harm hurts you, mm-hmm. right? In addition to the person you're doing harm to. Right. That's why it's the process of doing harm causes damage to your psyche. Yes. Right? It hurts you to do it. Yes. Which is part of the reason it needs to be worth it to do it. Exactly. But it also, if you do it over and over again, Mm -hmm. gradually that damage, Mm -hmm. the same way that when, and I don't want to seem like I'm downplaying anybody's experiences, but similarly to the way that, like, soldiers in combat zones who have to do violence and experience violence on a regular basis, this hurts them. It causes psychological damage that it takes time to recover from. PTSD. Right? PTSD. It takes time to recover from that damage. It takes care to recover from that damage. When you hurt someone, whether you do it with physical violence or with emotional violence or with a spell, you are doing harm to yourself as well. That harm stacks up if you do not handle it, if you do not give yourself time and care to recover from the damage that you have sustained by doing damage, Mm -hmm. you will fuck yourself up really badly. And I think that's kind of the point of Matt Oren's article, Mm -hmm. going all the way back to the beginning. And I don't think... I think that has nothing to do with magical consequences. I think that is pure fucking psychology. Yep, I think you're probably right. What if the greatest tabletop hero you ever play turns out to be yourself? In Vector, Attack of the Metapirates, move beyond imagination as Captain Vector and his Metapirates do battle from game world to world, following players from setting to setting in an attempt to enter the real world. Will you help Captain Vector in his Pinocchio-like quest to enter the real world, or stop him from becoming a living nightmare. Only you can decide. You can find out more information on Facebook at Vector Attack of the Metapirates. Personally, I think we should help Mr. Vector. Captain. Captain. I think we should help Captain Vector. I think we should help him become a nightmare creature. That's right. I support the the Meta Pirates. <laughs> I support the Meta Pirates. I should not be in a campaign with the Meta Pirates. <laughs> okay. I will turn coat immediately. Queens, good and gems. Well, that was good timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I'm going to be talking about today is cayenne pepper, which is excellent for use in protective magic. Oh, good. I thought curses. maybe it was a Meta Pirate. Yeah. Well, you know, you can use them against them too, I guess. Okay. So cayenne pepper, it grows in warm or hot climates. So it really is a subtropical, tropical plant. Mm -hmm. It is a perennial in those climates, which means it it comes back every year on its own. Thank you. So if you live in an area that has uh, a long growing season, lots of sun, then you can plant your cayenne pepper seeds in your garden and in 10 to 14 days, before frost and then once spring happens they'll start growing right so you've got them through the summer in temperate climates chilies will grow as annuals which means you have to plant them every every year you have to replant them you can start them indoors or in a greenhouse you sow the seeds in light in well-drained soil keep them in a sunny location at about 60 degrees fahrenheit until the seeds sprout and then you can put them into 
uh, a garden outdoors. You do need to keep the soil moist. You don't want to overwater them. And they do require a lot of sun. Okay. So if you're going to grow cayenne pepper, they do require a lot of sun. It cannot be a partial sun location. It cannot be a partial sun location. And most likely, um, places like Michigan, who we really have kind of a shorter growing season, you're not going to have an ideal growing season. You're, You're better off getting cayenne pepper that's already been grown and dried and and processed. processed. But if you're in a location where you can grow cayenne, then do some research and give it a try because it is actually a a powerful plant for protective magic. You can um, use it to cleanse and purify. It repels negativity. And I thought this was interesting. Cayenne also speeds up the efficacy of a spell. So you could use it. I can see that, yeah. In either way. You could use it in a curse. Uh Uh-huh. You could use I it. I have used it in curses. Yep. You can use it in a curse or you can use it to break a curse. Yeah. Which I, it just depends on how you ask the plant spirit to, to yeah. work with you. And the name is derived from the Greek and it does mean to bite. <laughs> because of its, you know, it has hot properties in the seeds yeah, and the fruit, right. and, you know, it has a snap to it, yeah. as it will. So make sure that you understand that that is what it's going to do in your magic as well. Bitey plant. It's a plant that can heal or harm. Plant got teeth. Plant got teeth, much like nature itself, <laughs> period. But it is also, it is a powerful stimulant. It's high in vitamin C. It's been used in remedies for cold treatments and things mm-hmm. like that. So cayenne, obviously, it's used as a spice in cooking. Yes. And so, I've used cayenne for years in the recording studio. So I would actually make hot lemon water Mm -hmm. with cayenne pepper Mm -hmm. for vocalists Mm -hmm. to drink about 30 minutes before they were going to sing their part because it would clear everything out and clear everything up. Loosen up the voice. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Oddly enough, cayenne pepper is also really good for pain relief. Hmm. It, you can put it in a in a balm. You can include it in an infused oil that uh, is for pain relief. That'd be a hot oil, though, I assume. Egg, yeah. So, <laughs> use um, with a carrier. Use with a carrier. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just be careful how you use it. It's a yep. strong plant. Strong, strong plant. It definitely can be used to as a protection. You can wear the chili as an amulet pepper. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I just love that as a concept. Yeah. I love walking can... around with a fucking chili pepper on around my neck. I love yeah, that. You can do and that. a clove of garlic. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you absolutely can do that. You can put it in something in a bag yeah, and carry yeah. it that way. In a mojo or whatever. In a mojo bag. Actually, you can use it when you're dealing with divorce or separations. <laughs> if you need a divorce or separation. <laughs> or to All heal. Right, or to heal from a divorce <laughs> or separation. Just depends on how you want to use it. And that, and I will say that is the way most plants are. Most plants have, you know, multiple mm-hmm. purposes. Some of them are to harm, some of them are to heal. It just depends on how you use them. So it's like tarot. You get an upright card and or a reverse, reverse card. Yeah. Yep. But it's the same thing with plants, mm-hmm. and I assume stones right. as well. Mm-hmm. They, you know, you get, you know, there's the flip Different side. Different aspects of the same yin qualities. Yin and yang, yeah. as exactly, it is. Exactly, exactly. And so make sure whatever you're going to be using this for, whether you're you know, using cayenne in your cooking, do a little well, spell work and ask the chili. spirit of chili pepper, uh, cayenne pepper to, to protect your family. You can use it if you want to do a, send a curse to someone. You can add that, that uh, cayenne pepper into the, the bag or, or food or whatever right. you're using, however you're, however you're delivering the uh-huh. curse, ask that spirit to bite this person, to bite this person. Exactly. And to speed the result. There you go. Cayenne pepper. So that's it for Gwen's Garden Gems. And on that note, 
maybe we should talk about the mechanics of cursing. Okay. How, how you do the thing? Well, there's a variety of ways. Oh, there really. are. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, because I think it's the most important thing, the most mm-hmm. important element of a curse, is a tag lock. Yes. It is important to have a tag lock. Uh, we had an argument about this one time. Yeah. Uh, the, can you can you curse someone without a tag lock? Yeah. I believe you can, but it is much harder, and you run the risk of uh, hitting more people than your target. Right. Because, and it can bounce. And it can bounce. I so 100%. a tag lock is, is much better. Preferred. I 100% will not cast a curse for most spells if I do not have a tag lock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's an important. Usually, I, I want more than one tag lock. So to clarify, in case you're unfamiliar with this terminology, like, what the fuck is a tag lock? A tag lock is a component of a spell. Yeah, Mother Multiverse just just said define tag lock. So a tag lock is a component of a spell that is intended to identify the target. Traditionally, a tag lock would be like a lock of hair or can be a, their picture. A fingernail clipping, a picture their full written name, something like that. Something that identifies mm-hmm. the target. And the more pieces of that person, however you get those pieces, right, mm-hmm. whether that's a photo, may have both as a, a footprint. footprint. Yeah, that would work. Fingerprints. Fingerprint. Um, anything personally identifying about this person. Mm-hmm. Anything that magically is associated with them. The more of those pieces you can get together, the stronger your tag lock is. For instance, you know, just like on TV or NCIS, uh-huh. if you can grab a, a coffee cup where they've left their mm-hmm. DNA, you can use that as a tag lock. Yep. It is highly recommended to use a tag lock because then you reduce the possibility of fallout. Yeah. So a tag lock is basically forensic magic. Sort of. It's, it's but targeting. It's yeah, a targeting. It's, it's targeting. It's more like targeting. Yeah, but gotcha. using forensic Yeah, it's methods. more like narrowing the focus to one specific target. Right. Uh-huh. That way you you have less risk of it's forensic blossoming, blossoming out. Yeah. Yeah. Ripple effect. Ripple effect. Yeah. Gwyn is willing to do magic in general <laughs> and curses specifically uh, without tag locks if necessary. I 100% am not. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. Different strokes. Different yep. strokes. Different folks. Exactly. <laughs> but I prefer if I can have a tag right. lock. I, do. I prefer. So if, if I can't get something personal... Then definitely a picture, their name, yep. anything like that. You can do it. You can do a curse in a number of ways. I mean, there are so many different there ways are, to do spells. Yeah. You can use a basically pop it. any of the any of the ways you would use to to, to, to do, do a spell, spell. You can convert to a into curse. a curse. You can use you can do a simple candle spell. Mm-hmm. But as every time it, every time you light that candle, you just pour hate into it. <laughs> pour and hate into it. Um, you can create a spell bag. You can create a pop it. I do bottles a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, the yeah freezer. I do freezer spells a lot. Freezer spells are great. Uh, for that kind of situation. Yep. And again, I want to reiterate, we're not talking about binding and banishing in this. We're talking about cursing. That yep. means a spell that will cause some form of harm, whether yep. it's physical, mental, emotional. That is, those are the basics. Make sure you have something that identifies the person or persons. Be very specific and be about very the objective specific. of your curse. Yep. And we mentioned this before, but this is what I think separates to a certain extent a curse from a conventional spell Mm -hmm. is the emotionality is very high. Yes. And it's very hostile. This is not something that you, you know, like when I say you can do a simple candle spell. Right. 
what you are doing when you have when you are preparing your candle. Right. The mechanics you, the of mechanics it. The mechanics of it. You are pouring all that hatred, that vitriol. anger, that yeah. vitriol. That desire are, to do harm. Exactly. Yep. You have to summon that up you are, and pour it into your spell. You need so because you're doing harm that is equivalent with violence, mm-hmm. right? In many cases, you need to be in the emotional state that you would be in to do violence. Exactly. You have to whip up those emotions yeah. and pour it all into your spell, whether it is a candle spell, a bag, uh, a yeah. poppet, a ritual, however you intend to cast the spell. You have to build up that energy. And it's just like any other energy that you build mm-hmm. for a spell, but this is hostile. Bill just had an excellent suggestion, which is melt the candle and re-pour it with the hate. There you go. Absolutely. And then you burn that down. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that so there are people who will do relatively casual, low effort curses. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm going to do a curse, mm-hmm. it's going to be probably a multi-day event. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of work. <laughs> it's going to be uh, a struggle and it's going to suck for me as much as it will hopefully suck for the other person. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's part of that's the ethical system of like, well, if I'm going to do this, right. I'm going to do this. Yeah, exactly. So I love the idea of. Melting the candle, which takes effort. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Bill has suggested you can put your tag locks into the wax as yep, you pour it, which exactly. is also good to just sort of bind that whole spell all together. Mm-hmm. And then re-pouring it, filling the candle with hate during the pouring process, which is emotionally draining, and then having to burn that candle down yep. over multiple days. Right. And then repeating that say, process. I love that. And then when you are done casting your spell, get rid oh. of the shit. Discard get, that discard shit it. far from your home. Far places. from your home. Bury it. Whatever. No, do or, not. I no. I do not think you should. How do you, bury, what do you do with it then? Um, curse remnants. There are some spell component remnants that it's fine to bury. I do not think curses are one of them. That's true. You don't they, want to affect the environment. Yeah. So I I would introduce. Bill says the cemetery works well for that. That's true because oh, the uh, the true. local spirits will trap that shit there. That's. But what I like to do is run the components under running water. Oh, good point. And to quote unquote cleanse them. Right to to dissipate the shit. Um, mm-hmm. ideally not running water that's in my own house or right. a, even uh hopefully in my own like local municipal, wa- yeah. mi- municipal <laughs> yeah. water, water system. system or my local water table and then i take the remnants that have had the water mm-hmm. passed over them as far away from me as i can practically get them that's right and the thing and then when you've done that cleanse yourself and your environment and your environment and then recast all your wards and shit and then recast your wards because you have had to deal you have you've had to do some ugly shit do some ugly ugly shit bring up ugly emotions and you're going to have to now that stuff is sticky and you're going to have said. to now go do some more shadow work mm-hmm. okay so question if you have somebody who you're semi close to that you're cursing mm-hmm. which i assume does happen mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about divorce separation yep, Stuff. Would the candle, the butter candle thing that we talked about, work? <laughs> oh yeah, because then they're imbibing the curse. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be bad shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not unlike. Um, it's not generally ideal to curse someone close to you if you want to maintain that relationship. But if you just want to fuck them up and then like destroy that relationship, go for it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And it's not unlike when you do a sweetening spell. I went to that class that talked about you create yep. a sweetening spell that you can then feed them, feed people. You know. Yeah. You put it into tea. Feed them the magic. You know, feed them the magic. You absolutely could do the same thing. Yep. 
with a curse. Uh, Mother Multiverse says, always worth thinking out every piece first. One, identify target. Two, determine methodology. Example, entities devoted to their destruction. Charge them with energy to attract harm, etc. Three, determine outcome desired. Know what you want to have happen in both scope and specificity. Four, troubleshooting. How will the spell overcome their defenses, whether conscious or unconscious? Yes. That's exactly right. What is the point of sending that energy out if it is not going to accomplish its task? Yeah. So know what you want it to do. I think that essentially the point of magic is to solve problems, right? Mm -hmm. For the most part, people are doing magic to solve perceived problems in their lives, whether those problems are real or not. So your magic should be Mm solution-based. The intent of your magic should be to solve a problem in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, A curse is solving a very specific kind of problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to know what the boundaries of that problem are Mm -hmm. before you can come up with a good solution to it. Most of the baneful magic that I perform is with binding and banishing. I have cast curses, and I am willing to cast curses when it's necessary. Right. I usually, the curses that I cast generally tend to hit a person in their pocketbook. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I, you you know, tend to do financial harm. I yeah. do financial harm to, right. to a person rather than physical or emotional harm. Keep in mind, though, that Although financial harm can, can have harm. consequences. Yes, exactly. of, so yeah. you have to be willing to take on that responsibility. That's part of it. Is exactly. You, as a human being, are a whole interconnected system, mm-hmm. compartmentalization yeah. notwithstanding. Yeah. Anything that hurts you hurts all of you. Mm-hmm. The same way I... I was talking to someone about this earlier today. The same way that when you get a toothache, that pain doesn't just stay in your tooth, right? right. It radiates into mm-hmm. into your head into your and head. into your mm-hmm. shoulder and into your back. That pain spreads because mm-hmm. your body is one whole system. Mm-hmm. In the same way, emotional harm spreads and hurts you in ways you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Financial harm has consequences for your health and your mental well-being, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And right. I and I am willing to accept mm-hmm. those those consequences. So, that's part of the ethics thing. That's yep. part of the whole ethics thing. Yep. We're going to reiterate <laughs> it. You have to have figured out your framework, your ethical framework before you do any kind of magic, let alone and, any kind of baneful magic. Yeah. And and then once you've determined what your boundaries are, what you're willing to do and what you're mm-hmm. not willing to do, you have to build in the fail safes. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Exactly. Uh, Mother Multiverse says, I found conviction to be the most powerful piece. If you can look at the choice in a month and say it was right or you would do it again, it's way more likely to be effective. Exactly. That is, true. That is exactly right. Which is why that whole first waiting rule, period. There has to be yeah. a waiting period of some kind before you even think about cursing. Yep. There has to be a waiting period, whether it's a week, a month, yeah, right. whatever. Whatever. Bill said a bag of chips, a pencil, a piece of paper, a stapler, and a trash can is all I need. There you go. Yep. <laughs> so. There you go. And sometimes you don't even need those. <laughs> exactly. So thanks to our tiger, Nick Fallingleaf, for introducing us to the Shamanic Vine, a metaphysical store in Kalamazoo, Michigan, offering crystals, aromatherapy, and herbal supplies, books, and more. On Saturday, December 7th, the Shamanic Vine will be hosting Bonnie, a certified hypnotherapist and past life regressionist, offering readings and insights. Find them online at shamansvine.com. Very cool. Mm-hmm. We'll have to check that out. We're going to wrap this one up here, I think. We still have to do Cars V's Table. Cars V's Table. All right. So, I have two things. One is what I'm calling the cursing soup. Oh, boy. All right. Give it to me. So you need two tablespoons of margarine, two onions, chopped, Mm -hmm. two carrots, shredded, 
two potatoes, peeled and cubed, three cups of water, one teaspoon of salt, one tablespoon of dried parsley, which is used for protection, purification, lust, happiness, fertility, and spirit work. Ooh, nice. Um, one half a teaspoon of dried thyme, which is used for healing, health, peace, psychic powers, love, purification, courage, releasing, sleep, and beauty. <laughs> and one bay leaf, which is protection, purification, strength, power, healing, creativity, spirituality, and psychic powers. This is a good soup. Yep, and two cups of milk, and then use salt and pepper to taste. So basically, in a large pot over medium heat, you're going to melt your butter or margarine and saute the onions for five to ten minutes. Or until tender, add the carrots, potatoes, water, salt, parsley, thyme, and bay leaf. Reduce the heat to low and simmer for 30 minutes, stirring occasionally. Then remove the bay leaf because you don't want to eat that. Not I have that. seen so many. So there's was there was a trend on Instagram recently of dumbass white people finding bay leaves in their <laughs> shit and just being like, "Do I eat this? No, bitch, you do not eat the bay leaf." <laughs> Then you're going to puree that soup in a blender or food processor in small batches and return it to the pot. Then stir in the milk, mixing well, and season with salt and pepper to taste. Sounds yummy. It does. Okay. Throw a little cayenne in there, too, and you got some <laughs> kick. Well, I figured with the, the particular things that are in there uh-huh. that it really works for cursing and or... And protection. And protection. protection. Yep, yeah. yep. And remember what I said about cayenne. It can yeah, help it both speed. Spruce. Yep. It can exactly. do both, and it can yeah, speed accelerate the... the let me just say, if you do it in a copper pot... Hey, 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 hey. A better. We've included it all now in one thing. <laughs> all right. All right. And my last thing is mead and blackberry cupcakes. Ooh. Ooh. Elaborate. So you need Please. half a cup of unsalted butter softened. Okay. Two thirds a cup of granulated sugar. Okay. Two large eggs. One teaspoon of vanilla extract. One cup of mead. Two cups of all-purpose flour. Okay. Two teaspoons of baking powder. One teaspoon of ground cinnamon. And half a teaspoon of salt. That's going to be the cupcake. What kind of mead, though? Any kind you damn well please. Kind if of goes you've well got with a cup of mead laying around you can your just home, pour it in this cupcake. Yeah, you can just pour it into the cupcake. Okay. Then your frosting is one cup of butter, two cups of icing sugar, and one tablespoon of uh, ground freeze-dried blackberries. Ooh. All right. So you're going to preheat the oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit and line a 12-hole muffin tin with paper cases. In a large bowl, you're going to cream together the butter, the sugar until it's light and fluffy. Add the eggs, vanilla, and mead and mix until fully incorporated. Add flour, baking powder, cinnamon, and salt, and then mix until it's all combined. Spoon the mixture into the muffin tins. Bake for 20 minutes and let cool completely. Uh, to make the frosting, you just whip together the butter and the sugar icing until it's light and fluffy, and then you whisk in the blackberry stuff, and then you ice your cakes, and you're ready to go. Oh, that sounds delicious. So need and blackberry cupcakes. Nice. We need this. <laughs> we need to well, we have, this. We have access to meat. We have access to I don't know how to get freeze-dried blackberries. Oh, that's not no, that's, that's, that's a store. That's not hard. Just okay. a trip to the store. Well, yeah. good. We're doing that, then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dang. All right. Well, all right. Well, we're done, I think. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't really talk about the history of cursing, but that's something you, we can assign you a... All right. Uh, do homework. Do some do homework. homework yeah. Look up uh, book curses, which we've talked about before. Curse and, tablets. Uh, and curse tablets and uh, the Ten Plagues of Egypt and uh, the Hope Diamond. That's your homework for curses. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then share in the Discord on uh-huh. Facebook, wherever Bill says want. I am not doing homework. <laughs> Q-Q okay. says I didn't come here to get assigned homework. Yeah. <laughs> 
NTM, NTM. Just some light reading. Just uh-huh, some yeah. light reading. <laughs> you know. But Hope Diamond's an easy one, folks. Just go to the Smithsonian website. Yeah. Yep. Look it up. Yep. And there's, you know, obviously there's been curses throughout history. Yeah. You know, King Tut's curse, the curse right. of his tomb, mm-hmm. you know, and all Although that things. one's been dramatized. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So is the Hope Diamond quite yeah, obviously. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So. exactly. So, but hopefully this has answered some questions, uh-huh. has given some food for thought. Yep. And uh, is not going to encourage people to go out and, you know. <laughs> oh, God, it's so much work to do a curse, it is so you guys. so much work. So much work. Like, don't get me wrong. Is it really worth it? We're a curse-positive household. I have done and will do more curses in the future. We've done them together. Yes, we've we've double-teamed curses. Double-dipped. Double-dipped curses, yeah. Yeah. We know what's up. But but they're just a lot of work, you guys. Yeah. I, I feel like I they're so much more work, but probably three times as much work to do a curse as it is to do a regular spell. I believe so, yeah. Just because of the energy it takes. Yeah. So, so just be do, feel free to do them. Just know what you're getting yourself what you, into and, and know what your limits are. I do want to say, if you are someone who does curses. Don't diss the people who don't. Yeah, no. Right. And, if you and are, vice versa. Exactly. So, like, I'm willing to do violence to prevent what I consider to be further worse violence. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I'm going to tell a pacifist they shouldn't be one. Exactly. I right. respect pacifists. Man, that takes a lot of effort to be one. Absolutely. So I if, can't do it. I have to be willing to be like, <laughs> yeah, I'll do violence under the right circumstances. Because I, yep. I get really tired of seeing people argue yeah, over don't cursing, over don't shit. cursing. Let's everybody make up their own mind of what works for them mm-hmm. and then move on. Yeah. So yeah. basically what you're saying is you do you. You yeah. do you, yes. Yeah. You do exactly. you and don't diss the people who disagree with you. Yep. Vanilla ice cream problem. Exactly. All right, okay. so I guess that's it for this episode. I do want to say that our next episode will feature a special guest. Yeah. Um, Amabaran. Amabaran is, is going to be on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, talking about the different hats you wear in communities. Yes. That's right. So That's look right. forward to that. He's yep. going to be here with us in our setup, so we should have actual good audio of him operon. That's right. right. Yes. Yep. Who? Huh? What? You'll meet him next week. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. That's it. Yep. Press, All right. Press the button. Oh, yeah, the didn't button. tell people where to find us. Oh, oh that's right. Shit. shit. You can find us on Google. <laughs> yeah, Google us. Google us. If you're Facebook, listening to this podcast, Twitter. either you or someone you know knows how to find us. <laughs> three pagans and a cat. Number three. Pagans and a cat dot com. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Video for yeah. Sometimes mom does these great <laughs> gestures that the mic obviously doesn't fucking pick up. And it's just we're losing this great shit. To our to our format. It's just tragic, you guys. <laughs> Alright, goodbye. Good night, bye. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.